Welcome back to the Adams Ward podcast. Today we're sitting down with Sister Becky Howard, and we're really excited to hear all about her. So, Becky, just to get started, tell us about where you grew up and your childhood. Well, I was born and raised for the first 15 years of my life in San Diego, and I always felt really fortunate uh, to be from San Diego. Um, Great pride in that. I guess there was something about being able to play outside all the time, whenever you want to. I didn't own a winter coat, didn't own gloves, things like that. Yeah, no such thing as too cold to go outside. And I was the second of five kids. There's one boy in the middle of four girls, and we are still great friends today. We're pretty spread out. There's 16 years between the oldest and the youngest. Um, But yeah, still great, great friends. Consider them some of my closest friends. Um, I had awesome parents. I just was really lucky in my childhood and played outside all the time as a kid, dug in the backyard. Say, were you near the ocean or <laughs> we were near the ocean, time? lots of time at the beach, feel really comfortable playing in the waves and just swimming in the ocean for hours. Um, when I was six, we started piano. My parents both felt I think that music was pretty important in their families growing up. My grandma had been like the ward organist like her whole adult life and things like that. But money was tight. I think they wanted to do piano lessons. Um and then a ward member uh, said, a friend of theirs said, hey, do you want to store a piano for us? <laughs> so my parents stored their piano for nine years. And that <laughs> is the piano that we were fortunate to get to play on to, so that we could take lessons. Um, and yeah, I took piano up into my first semester at college. I tried all the sports. I loved to play sports. Um, I never was like the all-star on the sports team, but I played on a lot of good teams and was pretty coordinated. I remember my, my freshman year, I was on like a team um, of kind of the freshmen from San Diego got together and put together a team that went and played in the AAU Nationals. Um, I was the shortest on the team. The average height was 5'11". <laughs> <laughs> uh, played um, volleyball, um, went to state with that team and took third and enjoyed volleyball. Actually had a couple offers to play college volleyball, um, but wanted to go to BYU, so I didn't do that. And then I played other sports, softball, or I liked to backpack, go on. I went on a couple of 50-milers, uh, like to ski, hike, just kind of be outside. And I like to read. But anyway, those are some of the things that kind of, I feel like, formed my my childhood. Yes, perfect. Um, so tell us where your education led you. You went through? Well, uh, I decided in high school that I wanted to be a doctor. And I was pretty serious about it, and... Went to college and took the pre-med recs, and I minored in chemistry. And um, towards the end, I had one prerequisite left for medical school. And I started feeling like maybe maybe that wasn't the right path for me. Um, I, like, I really wanted to be a doctor. I also really felt like I wanted to have a large family if that opportunity came. And I was really concerned that gigantic student loans would give me very little flexibility um, in how I chose to to raise my kids. Um, today, I feel like there's a lot more flexibility um, in jobs and in healthcare. Um, but back, you know, plus 20 years ago, I didn't feel like that was very common. So it just didn't seem like that was going to, I couldn't maybe pursue both of those in the way that I wanted to. So I was like, well, now what do I do? You're right. <laughs> I had an undergraduate degree I was almost done with in psychology, and I found out BYU had a master's program in psychology that you could maybe do in a year. So I was like, let's do the timelines. I'm like, oh, okay, I can quick take the GRE, and 
throwing together, just get my scores in right before the deadline and throw in an application. And I did, and I got in, I did that program. Um, but it's not really a program where you have like a certification or a license to like be a counselor or anything. It's more of a jumping off point for other programs. So then I was like, okay, now what am I going to do with this master's degree? And I was like, well, I like school. And I had done a couple of research projects that I'd gotten grants for and decided maybe I want to go get a PhD. So I applied for PhDs and I got into a program in San Diego in social psychology and it was going to pay for like everything, like pay for tuition, healthcare, living expenses. I'm like, let's go do this. I love school. And then it was almost time to go. It was like a month before I was going to go down there. And I just started feeling like ill at ease about the whole thing. Um, it's really interesting as I look back over my life uh, so far and getting, getting ready for this podcast, it's just interesting how I can see how the Lord lets us make our decisions and and seek personal revelation. And then I like to think he won't let us screw up. He'll be like, yeah, you can go down that road. But then sometimes he'll be like, ah, I've got a different thing in mind for you. So anyway, I changed my mind. I didn't go. And I felt really at peace after I made that decision. And so you didn't know what you were going to do next. I didn't know what I was going to do next. And... Um, Incidentally, I actually met Aaron around that time. We weren't dating yet, but then we did end up getting married less than a year later. And anyway, um, I had been a stay-at-home mom ever since I had Callie. So, okay, yeah. So tell tell us about how you and Aaron met. Well, uh, I had a really good friend who I worked with, and um, where were you working? We were working at. Uh, an after-school respite program where we work with kids who are at risk in different ways or maybe have some mental health challenges and we go take them and do fun things with them we'd um yeah go take them to the movies or miniature golfing or I remember Harry Potter week all of the kids I you know worked Monday Tuesday Wednesday Thursday Friday they all wanted to go see the new Harry Potter movie so I actually saw that (laughs) six times in one week I knew that movie very well by the end yeah anyway um she and I decided we wanted to live together And I moved in and the very next first Sunday in my new ward, she introduced me to Aaron and I remember meeting him in gospel doctrine. (laughs) And, um, I think I can honestly say he struck me just from, from meeting him. Uh, we became really good friends because our roommates were already really good friends and we spent a lot of time together. We played on an intramural softball co-ed team together and we actually played a lot of cards together. We both play Rook. Any ward members who like to play Rook, we'd like to be your friends. That one isn't this common today, but we love Rook. And uh, both of our roommates, all of our roommates had homework and regular schooling, but Aaron had graduated with his undergraduate and I was um, just working on my thesis at this point and didn't have homework. And so they'd all go do homework and Aaron and I would hang out. Finally, after several months of this, we decided officially that we would start dating and our roommates all will say that we had been dating for much longer than that. But <laughs> we officially started dating in the fall. And then it just kind of fell into place after that really easily. Like um, within the next month, we met each other's families and went to holidays at each other's houses. At Christmas time, he was coming to my house and he got me a present that he'd had engraved. And his roommates found the receipt for the engraving on his dresser. And so they assumed I was getting a ring for Christmas. And so when we got home from our trip to see my family and we were picked up by Aaron's friend at the airport, he 
scoped out my ring finger and saw that I was not engaged. And when we got back to Aaron's and my apartment complex, we were getting our suitcases out and we didn't even notice Aaron's friend like booked it back to their apartment and was like, take his roommates had put up a whole sign. Congratulations. (laughs) And he was like, take down the sign. They're not engaged. So they took it down and kept it. And a month later they got to put it back, get it back out for real and told us kind of the whole story. And we're married a few months later. So Great guy. I love that guy. <laughs> My favorite person. Perfect. And then tell us where life took you from there. Well, um, six kids. Uh, and actually in our first nine years of marriage, I think we moved 11 times. We got wow. really good at moving. Uh, Aaron can pack a moving van like you've never seen. I'll be like, we are not getting all this stuff in. His, in and he'll be like, you just watch. <laughs> um our uh, six kids, the first five, were born in different states. We had Callie in Utah and Corinne in Michigan. Dallin was born in Florida. Aubrey was born in Oregon. And then Nathan was born in Idaho. And when I was pregnant with Landon, Aaron had started working in Washington. And we were like, all right, we're going to get a, a Washington baby and be six for six. But, you know, the timing didn't quite line up. And we, Landon was born when we still lived in Idaho. And Aaron was just commuting 70 minutes <laughs> each way to work and okay. which was kind of an adventure at the end of that pregnancy he'd be getting ready to go to work and be like how, how you feeling today <laughs> should I go down to Spokane and I'd be like I think you're good and then Lannon was polite enough to be born on the weekend when Aaron was home I was very considerate okay. of him yes. so what caused you guys to move around so um you know, we went to Michigan for Aaron's uh, internship for his MBA, and then we took our first job in Florida, and that's what took us there for Dallin. And then it, Aaron went to work for a um, home builder, and that was in 2006, right when the housing market totally crashed, and that company went under. So then we went to Oregon and worked for a company there, and then went to Idaho and worked for a company there. And it has been nice. This is the longest we have ever lived in one house in one ward. Well, I guess we switched wards, so I can't say in one yes. ward, but in one house. Anyway, we're going on seven years here. We burned the moving boxes and yay, so we're here. here. Good. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Don't move on us. Okay. Um, I know you touched maybe a little bit, but tell us about some turning points in your life. Well, I thought about this and I'm like, I'm not even sure if I'd call them turning points so much. I'm not sure if it changed her tra- trajectory. I guess, obviously, deciding not to go produce pursue the PhD probably did, but I thought about times that were just really impactful. And one of those was when I was, uh, I mentioned I lived in San Diego for 15 years at the end of that freshman year where I just felt like everything was going great. I had great friends. I had just played in two varsity sports, which as a kid, you just think that is so important. Um, And then my parents were like, we're moving to Reno, Nevada. And I was like, you are got to be kidding me. I was devastated I couldn't believe, especially that I was going to leave behind these couple of really close friends of mine. Um, I kept saying, where is Reno anyway? I thought I was from the big city of San Diego. Um, <laughs> big city girl, you know. Yeah. And uh, here we're, I was like, you're moving me to this podunk town. And my parents were like, Reno is not podunk. <laughs> my dad finally, after me complaining all summer, said, hey, look, if you're going to keep complaining about Reno being podunk, I'm going to move you to Winnemucca, and then you'll see what Podunk is. (laughs) I think he was mostly kidding. But uh, so we moved there, and uh, it was hard moving sophomore year. Um, 
I moved into a big ward, and there actually were a lot, a lot of members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints at my school, way more than there had been in San Diego. Um, but it just took me a while to find my footing. I uh, Basketball, after playing my freshman year on the basketball varsity team, I went and it did not, I had like an opposite experience there and even yeah. stopped playing basketball after my sophomore year. And I had the first friends that I made, it didn't quite pan out with them and had some tough experiences with them. And I just spent a lot of time at night. I remember being like on my knees, like in tears and like, Heavenly Father, I am lonely. <laughs> and it, you know, it just brings you closer. I look back and go, that was a hard time. And then it was the most amazing time because the blessings came and um, I would feel so comforted. And, and then I made like the best friends, like I made the best friends and they, um, I ended up being roommates with three of my high school friends in college and uh, ended up with this big social network of really amazing kids, both who are members of our church and who weren't, but all had high standards and made me a better person. And I can look back now and see that that move really strengthened my testimony because of what I experienced. And then by the the people that I met and my leaders um, were amazing. So I would say that that was a, a turning point for me. Um, as well as, yeah, I would say getting married and having kids is a huge turning point. Like yeah. giving, having kids and being a parent has been the hardest thing I've ever done and the most rewarding. And um, so that changed my life for the better, for the good. <laughs> and, um, and, and being around Aaron, I've been around him almost half my life now, I guess not quite, but um, that, that has been the greatest thing to be married to him. So... Okay. Um, any other things that you can think of that? Um, well, yeah, I would say kind of both turning points and then along with, I think the other question coming up about building my testimony, I feel like those two kind of go hand in hand for me. For sure. Yes. Um, I really feel like my testimony was built. Um, well, I feel like I always kind of had one growing up, um, felt the spirit in my home. I don't know that as a kid, you always are aware of it, but that peace and happiness in my home was definitely the spirit was there. I feel like my parents um, fostered a wonderful atmosphere in our home, both through their service. They were always serving in their callings, always going home and visiting teaching, always taking dinner to somebody or helping somebody move. Um, And they also, I think my parents are kind of remarkable in that they, they just don't speak ill of other people. It's a, a thing about them that I've come to realize is maybe a little more uncommon than I realized. But so in our home, we just don't speak negatively about people. And that made for um, a wonderful environment for fostering testimony. And as I grew up, um, I think the first times that I really remember feeling the spirit and really recognizing that I was feeling the spirit was at girls camp. Like, big shout out to girls camp. It is an undeniable thing to be like, wow, this is what the spirit feels like. You go to a girls camp testimony meeting, wow. Um, So that was wonderful. And I think that my testimony was really strengthened then through my experience moving to Reno as a high school student. And then I would say for me, going to BYU was very impactful and a good choice for me there are several things about it that I felt like really fostered my testimony. I think that the religion classes, every taking those every semester, um, as well as on my summers off, I'd go home and take institute classes. 
just taking these classes from professional um, people who study the gospel for a job right. is amazing. And um, yeah, I learned so much. Even when I finished my religion requirements, I kept taking religion classes, even as a graduate student, because I loved them so much. Around that time, I discovered, I don't know, that beyond the scriptures, there were all these um, books written by general authorities and biographies and really got into reading biographies of President Benson and President Hinckley and President Lee and President Kimball. I, uh, I read an early biography of President Nelson written in the 1970s. I just, reading the backgrounds of um, our church leaders strengthened my testimony a lot. And um, being at BYU, being close to the temple made a huge difference. You could feel it. I had never lived that close to a temple. Um, and I felt great power there. Back then, before I was endowed, uh, we didn't go to do baptisms quite as often as the kids get to today, right? right? Um, but I would still would drive in my car to the temple parking lot and pull out my scriptures and my journal and put on some tabernacle choir music and and had some really spiritual experiences in the parking lot of the temple. Um, great power just in being by that building. And then I was endowed after I finished my undergraduate work before I started grad school. Um, I talked to my bishop about going and getting endowed and got a recommend to do that. And I, then I thought, I may never live this close to a temple again in my whole life. I kind of laugh now because yeah. look at how close I live to the temple. I never Over the hill, yeah. It's amazing. But at BYU, I was like, I may never live this close again. And I may never have the time that I have now, even though you think you're so busy right. as a college student. <laughs> I still knew, I kind of watched people who had kids and thought, okay, I'm not that busy yet or had full-time jobs. And so actually that first year, I decided that I wanted to go to the temple every week for that first year that I was endowed. I missed a couple weeks going out of town over Christmas break and when I was sick, but otherwise that was a really strengthening experience. Um, the other thing to shout out that I loved about being at BYU was they have devotionals. Um, the uh, devotionals, there's another word for them. I don't know, maybe it's devotionals. Anyway, every week they have a campus devotional and they bring in, um, different speakers, professors, or dignitaries, sometimes from other universities or, or jobs. And then once a month, they bring in like a church general authority. And I had never lived somewhere that you just went and heard general authority speak, yeah. except on TV at conference. <laughs> like that was totally foreign to me. And um, my freshman year, the prophet, President Hinckley, was going to come and speak in person. And that was so exciting. And so I remember I didn't have classes right before, like the hour or two before the devotional. So I got there early. I wanted to kind of have a decent seat. The devotionals are in the big arena where they play basketball. And um, I got there early and I just sat and did homework and studied. Um, I think I was just sitting by myself. And it was almost time for the devotional to start. And all of a sudden, I felt something like I felt a power in the room. I felt a presence and I actually thought he's here. The prophet is here. I can feel him. And I started craning my neck all around trying to spot him. And sure enough, way down on the floor, the basketball court floor in the very corner, he had just entered the room. And, um, and I just will never forget that I could feel his power before I saw him with my eyes, that it was very real and that was a great testimony builder that, that the prophet really is a man of God. So anyway, those are some of the things that well, built my testimony. S sitting here listening to you talk about BYU, how did you know that that's 
the place that you were meant to be for school? Because you oh. said you, you touched on other opportunities came your way, but yeah. did you just always know that that's where you wanted to go? I think I just or? wanted to. And, okay. and I will... Did your I parents admit, go my there? My parents both went okay. there, so I did grow up like going to... like if Down in San Diego, with the Cougars came down, we went and watched the basketball team or the volleyball team yes. come play, or sometimes the football team came to the Holiday Bowl, and we got tickets to go see that. And then I would go visit... Uh, my grandparents lived in Utah, and so in, in Orem, and my parents would go visit them, and we'd go down to campus. My my grandpa was a professor at BYU. Okay, There's a little so bit of yeah, bleeding blue there. Yeah. So I did apply to some other colleges, but I really did, at the end of the day, thought I really wanted to. That atmosphere was very appealing to me, to be around that many other members of the church. Yeah. So... Anyway, it was like the right thing for me. It sounds like, yeah, you really thrived there. Yeah. So what have you done to continue to nurture your testimony, being now away from that center, you know, being surrounded by all those opportunities to find faith? Well, um, I feel like the biggest way that it gets nurtured is um, through service, both receiving service and giving service, uh, both in callings and in other ways. I feel like you almost would have to be trying to ignore the many ways that you'd see the hand of the Lord working in people's lives when when you go and serve, especially in callings. You can feel the people that you have stewardship over, that you serve. You can just feel the way the Lord is aware of them. And I've had experiences where I've just seen seen his awareness of his children and how much he loves them. Um, one that comes to mind is, um, I remember when I was at BYU, I was actually serving as, um, the Relief Society president and I had a a sister in my ward who I just couldn't seem to connect with. She was a freshman and I would try and stop by and meet her and she was never home and her roommates would say she's never here. And they actually expressed some concern about her. Um, and maybe, I don't know. She just sounded like there were some things maybe not going great. And I would pray and be like, Heavenly Father, like, how how can I help this this sister? You know, what do you want me to do? And I went grocery shopping and um, I was at Macy's grocery store. And as I'm checking out, there's a sign that says, like, get your flu shot today. And back then, uh, flu shots weren't a very common thing. I'd never had a flu shot. I didn't know anyone who had a flu shot. They're much more common today, but they were kind of a newer thing back then. And I wasn't high risk. I wasn't concerned about anything. Didn't even really know that they existed. And as I'm checking out, I felt this voice say, get a flu shot. And I thought, what? (laughs) I'm not getting a flu shot. Like, why would I do that? And I get my groceries and I go down to the car and then um, I, I felt it again, get a flu shot. And I was like, okay, I got the message. I'm getting a flu shot. So I put my groceries in the trunk and I go inside to the pharmacy. And there is the sister that I had been praying about and wondering about. And she says, well, you found me here. So I might as well tell you everything that is going on. And she just starts telling. And actually she had some crazy things going on that needed some real help and support. Um, but I was like, okay, Heavenly Father really is aware of people. And um, yeah, as you serve, I feel like we just see that. And it's, it just strengthens my testimony to see the awareness that he, has, that he has of us. The other way that I think I nurture my testimony or try, strive to anyway is, and I'm not great at this. Um, 
I don't remember to do this every day, but when I do, I try to follow President Irene's counsel to ask to see the hand of the Lord in our day and then to pay attention to that. And I, I try, when I remember to do that and try to do that, um, it really is amazing to see the little ways that he helps us along, his tender mercies. It's not that he takes away all the hard things, but they just go a little more smoothly. And, and you can see the, yeah, you can just see the tender mercies. So, yeah. Beautiful. Well, before we finish up, do you have anything else that you had thought of that you wanted to share with all of us? Mm, nothing really comes to mind. Um, yeah. Well, we'll finish up with, with asking you, what does being a follower of Christ mean to you? Um, such an interesting question that I've given a lot of thought to. And what came to my mind, I thought about a time that I was serving with the young women in Medford, Oregon. And we were on a little retreat at the beach. And we were at a camp, having a little campfire on the beach, a bonfire on the beach. And we had asked all the girls, and the leaders were answering this too. We asked, what would you ask the Savior if you could ask him one question? And I will tell you, I, I worked with some incredible young women there, and their answers were inspirational and um, just floored me, the wisdom that they had. And it was a very tender, special um, experience um, sharing this. And I think she may have been the last one to go. But one of our 13-year-olds who had a, an incredible amount of challenges in her life that just made life very, very difficult for her, she said, I would just ask if he could stay for a little longer, if he could stay for a few more minutes. And I found that very, very touching that she just wanted to be around the Savior more. And I think about that, and I think, um, I think as followers of Christ, we can help people feel that. Um, we want to be around the Savior because he brings us peace because he lets us feel valued and accepted and loved. And we know that we matter, um, that we want to be around him. And I think, how can we help other people feel that same way in our own way? We're not perfect like the Savior, but I would love, uh, as followers, followers of Christ, it just seems like we can try and help people feel that same way that they would want to be around us just a little bit longer because they can feel that light of the Savior through us. And then I have to give a little shout out. Um, my kids are going to laugh because I talk about optimism a lot. But I, <laughs> I really think that as followers of Christ, we should be the most optimistic people on the planet. Like we know, we know that he lives and we know that, that no matter how hard it gets, we know that there's a plan and that everything will be okay in this life for the next. And so I just think we should be optimistic. I love that. So... <laughs> Well, perfect. Well, thank you, Becky, thank for you, sitting Leslie. down with us today. Oh, you're we welcome. Getting to know all about you. Thank you. And a little shout out to everyone in the ward. I just have to say, these podcasts are amazing, and I wasn't going to do this. <laughs> I thought when I heard there were podcasts, I was like, I'm not going to do that. Like, that just puts myself out there too much. And then I heard the first few, and I thought, everyone has to do this, because 
It is amazing getting to know people in the ward. And so it's all of your turn. You all have to Thank do this. Thank you. <laughs> yes. We, and reach out. If we haven't reached out to you, feel, feel, feel free to reach out to us and we would love to come by. We want to hear everybody's story. Totally. Can't wait. Thank you.